All right, and coming from the folks over at rawstory.com, article up by Bob Brigham. Controversial Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh is being protested in his own neighborhood after his name appeared in a in support of a leaked Supreme Court draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. All right, remembering Brett Kavanaugh, main thing that I remember myself, this is outside of the article, um, when uh, they had Chris, uh, Christine Blasey Ford up there and she was telling the story of the uh, attempted rape at the party with Brett Kavanaugh and what really stands out is that Brett and his friend when they um, took her up to the room they put the door shut and they turned up the stereo so that other folks wouldn't be able to hear her that's very deliberate, very aware, not a mistake, all right? I don't buy into this whole young and dumb making mistakes bullshit. Continuing with the article up from Raw Story. On Saturday, the Washington Post reported on Lacey Wooten Hallway uh, protesting in the Chevy Chase neighborhood she shares with Kavanaugh. The newspaper reported one man complaining about her tactics, quote, That I don't agree with. I think you vote and you expand the court. You don't go to the guy's house. End quote, the man said. In response, Lacey Wooten Hallway says, I organized peaceful, candlelit vigils in front of his house. We are about to get doomsday, so I'm not going to be civil to that man at all. End quote. Wooten Hallway, a mother of two, was a sexual assault survivor herself. Quote from the uh, newspaper, Neighbors tell her, This kind of protest is disrespectful in a place they believe should be a private, family-friendly escape from bitter Washington politics. The newspaper continues to say, other people cheer, saying they wouldn't pers- personally uh, join, but are encouraged to see someone speaking out, end quote. Now, trigger warning moving forward with the uh, rest of this video that we're uploading here. Uh, in 2017, uh, Wooten Hallway testified before DC's Judiciary and Public Safety uh, and Public Safety Public Hearing about being sexually assaulted. All right, it's a clip just under five minutes, and we'll go ahead and close out with that. Mr. Williams Laborhood for Wine Cellar Media, thank you for tuning in. assault survivor. I'm also a wife, a mother of two, a Montessori teacher, and a native Washingtonian born and raised. I'm also very nervous. <laughs> um, in June of 2013, my parents asked me to house sit for them while they went to Greece for a long and well-deserved extended vacation. My birthday falls at the beginning of June, and so I decided to take advantage and throw a pool party. It was a fun, friend-filled event, and one of my friends brought a man that I didn't know well, but who seemed nice, and since my friend trusted him, I had no reason not to. The following morning, this man reached out to me, telling me he had accidentally left his bathing suit and towel at my house, 
and could he come by and retrieve them within the hour. Shortly after his arrival, he made advances toward me that immediately turned into sexual assault. The details are unimportant. I was assaulted, I was terrorized, and for brief moments, I feared for my life. I was able to escape him and call the police. The rest of the days and the days to follow are a blur. I don't remember questions, faces, names, or other specific details. I began taking anxiety medication, which clouded my memory even further. My family was not there, and I felt completely alone. I fielded everything on my own. I had no idea what my rights were as a survivor, and I began to doubt myself, and I began to doubt what happened. I know now that that is very common. Despite him already having a record at the time of my assault, my case was eventually dropped because of a lack of physical evidence and his claims that it was consensual. I tell you here today, again, it was not. Three months later, in September of 2013, he assaulted another woman. He was eventually sentenced to 18 months in federal prison for purposely trying to infect a young woman with HIV. Six months after he was released, he attacked yet another woman while she was putting her child in a car seat. I can't help but think that if I had had an advocate, if I had been able to process what happened to me in a less traumatic fashion, that if I had had someone there with me who was there solely for support, who could have told me what to expect, and how to best protect myself during this painful and humiliating time, that perhaps I would have been a more effective witness. And if I had been a more effective witness, I mean, no one, no one else would have gotten hurt. When climbing a mountain, if one wishes to survive the trip, one usually has a Sherpa to guide them through the rocky and dangerous terrain. The days, weeks, and months following a sexual assault are humiliating and scary. We must repeat unrepeatable things. We watch people begin to doubt us. We don't sleep, and when we do sleep, it's with a knife under our pillow and pills under our tongues. The physical assault is merely the prelude to a much longer, more insidious mental assault. The healing process is long. We must start telling survivors, we see you, we hear you, now how can we help you? This is my daughter. She'll be turning 12 this fall. While I pray she will never need any of these services, I know that in reality, she or one of her friends will. I pray that she feels comfortable coming to me or to her father, but if she doesn't, I want her to have a choice. I want her generation of survivors to have a choice and a voice about what they do for themselves. I trust her enough. We need to take kids seriously. I support this legislation of the SAVR 2.0 in its entirety as it has been submitted, and I thank you for your consideration. I strongly urge you to support SAVR 2.0 as is. Thank you very much, Ms. Holloway.